The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Tabernacle. I like you. You like me too, right? Yeah, it's kind of important. Uh, We've got a lot to go through, uh, and and I'm really excited about it. Uh, But I want to let you into my world again, uh, just just a little bit to let you know how my brain works, who I am, uh, and why I need Jesus so much. So I don't know if you noticed, uh, but this last week was cold. You know, it was not like really cold. Yeah, it was. It was ridiculous cold, right? So it was really cold. Uh, this morning I get up and I get these little routines that I have to do, that I get to do, I choose to do. One of them is providing heat for the house, which is an outdoor wood burner. So I do what I do, go outside, right? So I'm out there, I put on my jacket, put on my gloves, go outside, and I'm loading the stove. And here's the thought that actually entered my mind. It is so hot. <laughs> right? You guys remember? Remember, Tim? Okay. That's me. That's, how, that, that, that's what I do. Uh, so God has put on my heart something uh, a number of weeks, about six and a half weeks ago. Uh, he began to challenge me with this thought. Uh, and, and what God, what I love about the way God teaches me, he may teach you differently, uh, but what he, he, he doesn't say, Tim, go meditate and get into scripture and read and find that quiet place, because I'll always fall asleep, but God knows that. So he goes, here's a challenge. I want you to think about this. Uh, so when I get up in the morning, when I wake up, Tim, not you, but me, uh, I am a prideful, sinful, wicked human. That's how I wake up. I wake up and go, oh, how did I get so old? Okay. And then it's like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do, and I start out and every morning I have to make a choice. Now I could live my day that way. That's a choice for me to live my day that way. Uh, but it usually ends up pretty cruddy because I'm the center of the universe. I, I don't know if you know that, but I am. But if you've been looking for the center of the universe, this is it. Right here. Okay? Now, you may argue with me that you're the center of the universe. Maybe. Maybe not. But what I find is when I'm the center of the universe, so many things irritate me. Right? And it isn't necessarily situations like the weather and that stuff. That really doesn't bother me. What bothers me is you. <laughs> it's all the other humans. Right? So I have to make a choice, and uh, God offers me this choice, and it's really beautiful, and it's like, hey, Tim, what if you stop being the center of the universe and let me for a minute, just for a minute? So I make that choice, right? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try hard to let God be the center of the universe. So something magical happens, mystical happens, is you don't irritate me. Things don't bother me quite so much. Circumstances don't seem so overwhelming. You know, I, I might not even complain about it being too hot, I don't know. I don't know if that works for you or not, but here's what I find. In my world, I have to do that often, 20, 30 times a day. 
I just do. I got, I, I got a built-in forgetter. So today is really cool. We get to uh, talk about uh, something really specific. It's, it's about the kind of center of the universe thought process. It's about pride. Uh, and also, this is really cool, we get to do communion today. So this is all mixes together really well. I'm excited. So if you've got a Bible, uh, since we have so much to go over, if you've got a Bible, uh, or it's going to be on the screen or a device or whatever it is you choose to use, use it. Uh, but I want you to listen to what God is teaching us. This is Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 50. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the son of man, that's Jesus, is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later, he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what it meant. So let's pause right there just for a moment. Okay, I want you to understand, he's talking to the disciples, but this is written down and it's for us, it's for us today. So rather than teaching the crowds, thousands, he's now developing discipleship. He's teaching his disciples what he wants them to know. We can then suppose he's teaching us. Okay, this is for us. He's saying uh, he wants to spend more time with his disciples. Put your name in there and teach you. Teach me. That's what he's saying in this little bit of scripture. Verse 33. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled into a house, Jesus asked the disciples, Hey, what were you discussing out on the road? Might be a leading question. But they didn't answer him because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Here we go again, right? He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And he put a little child among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. Now, there's a couple of important things I want you to know about this. First of all, Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's so fluent. He's so gifted. When a rabbi sits down, everybody knows what's happening. Whenever a rabbi would sit down in that time, in that culture, everybody knew he was teaching. So they stopped their phones. They stopped their conversations from the side. And they gathered around and sat with him. He's teaching them specifically. So he sat down. He pulls up this beautiful moment. This moment is a child. And he says, anyone who welcomes this child. So the rabbi is teaching everybody. Here's this little kid, right? Now, in that time, little kids weren't such a big deal, right? We didn't spend a ton of money. They may make it. They may not. They were viewed as property. Sorry to say. They had no standing. They were nothing. Jesus pulls nothing in the midst of them and begins to talk. Anyone who welcomes this child welcomes me. Who's the child? The child in 
our terms is going to be a seeker. Someone who's looking for Jesus. Somebody maybe who just found Jesus. Okay? That's, that's what he's talking about. He's not just talking about children. Yes, children are important. Gosh, we kind of overdo that. He's saying there's all of these new believers. Anybody who welcomes them in. You know, new believers, it can be really awkward, right? They don't know how to dress. They don't know when to stand up or sit down. They're weird. No, they're awesome. They make church live. Okay, let's continue. Verse 38, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him! Exclamation point. I got louder there. Jesus said, No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. But if you cause one of these little ones, child, who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. It gets even more dramatic. It would be better for you to take a millstone. Now, there were two types of millstones. There were really little ones that they used in a home, right? And then there were the big ones, and the big ones were driven by donkeys. He's talking about the donkey size. That's a big deal. But this is what he says. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where maggots never die and the fire never goes out. For everyone, everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and, listen to this, live in peace with each other. So what is Jesus telling us? What is he teaching us? He's talking about pride is what he's talking about. He's talking about pride. Now, it, it, when we bring up pride, it was really interesting because I spent a little bit of time looking up in the dictionary. And all of the definitions that you read first are positive, right? Very positive. I think in the Christian standpoint, we look at a little bit more negative. But good pride, satisfaction in work or accomplishment. Satisfaction can be had. He's not saying don't have any pride. He's not saying that. He's saying don't use it for evil. Don't be evilly pride, but have pride. Where do we find that in Scripture? Well, if you go to the very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis 1.1, God is creating everything for us, including us. And in Genesis 1.1, as God is going through, he pauses at a moment and says, and it was good. And then after humans are created in the image of God, male and female, in his image, he says, and it was very good. God is not sinning when he's saying that. He's looking at, I, just think about the complication of the earth. How many microbes and the dirt and the air and water and spinning around the sun and seasons. 
It's, it's unbelievable. And then he put people built in his image. It was very good. It was accomplishment. He's saying, that's healthy pride. Did you know that there's such a thing as healthy pride? There is. Have you ever watched your child do something selfless? Ah, a little bit of pride. Right? We can take it too far. He's not saying, don't have any pride. He's saying pride is a slippery slope. And we can fall into sin with it really, really quickly. There is a desire some of us have to be great. That's not bad. Jesus isn't saying don't be great, don't succeed, don't go be the best that you could be for my kingdom. He's not saying that at all. He's saying be careful. And then he goes out to point out some of sinful pride. Sinful pride. I suffer from it. I don't know about you. So this would be a really easy sermon to sit here like this. With a little machine guns. And really, it's this. I, I, I need you to know. What I'm speaking about is from experience. Okay? And I still struggle. I have not arrived. But sinful pride has this common phrase. And it says, I deserve better. Do you agree with that? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I deserve better. Do you realize... Most of my pain and most of my frustrations and almost exclusively all of my apologies have come out of that sinful pride. I deserve better. So, John, the disciple who is kind of elevated a little bit in a weird intellectual way, and Peter's the one we get to laugh at, right? Peter's the one who keeps running into walls. You know, he's putting his foot in his mouth. I love Peter. You know, the church is built on Peter. John is really important, but he he comes up with a statement, and he says this, there's there's, uh, this guy, and he was throwing out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he's not one of us, right? That's kind of a weird statement coming from a disciple. He's not one of us. He's not one of us. So, uh, I deserve better. Could it be that John was jealous of that guy? Could it be that John thought his position amongst the 12 might be a little threatened at this moment? I think so. I I think that's that's kind of what he was thinking. Plus, they just come off this experience that we talked about last week where they went to cast out a demon, and they couldn't. They couldn't do it. Do you think... John is like, I deserve better. I, I'm, I've been with you. I've been following you. But I've done everything you've asked. I've done the hard things too. And I was out on the boat. And when we did this, and I did all the, it's us. Right? I deserve that. This thing comes from comparison. Having a little bit more than the other. Now, in our world, you know, monetarily, we can, you know, kind of look around. And it, it, it's not about that. But have you ever... Like compared yourself to somebody else. And even though they might have one tiny little weird area in life they're better than you, you still kind of want to pull that back. Okay, am I the only one? Really? Is this like confession? Are you all priests? What's going on? (laughs) See, John's problem was there was no dependence upon Jesus. There was no dependence on Jesus. It was dependent on his title. And who he was with and who he hung with. 
That was the important thing. And he was threatened by the, somebody else when he was stepping in. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. If, if that guy's casting out demons in my name, let him be. He's doing good. Let him be. If somebody comes up, just hands you water, you're thirsty, it's a long day. And they, they do it because they know you follow Jesus. And they're like, hey, bro, man, I don't know much, but here's some water. That person's going to be rewarded. God sees that. about the lack of gratitude in that statement? See, pride is poison. Sinful pride is poison. Let me clarify that. Sinful pride is poison. It's, it's, it's the I deserve more. I deserve better. I, I rarely show gratitude. So think about how I have to start my day, like when I wake up, I'm just, I'm a sinful, prideful person and it's all about me and I'm the center of the universe. That's how it looks. And then I have to make a willful choice to try to not do that with the help of God, with the help of teaching of Jesus and with the help of the Holy Spirit. I try to do that. I don't succeed completely. Sometimes I have to do it 20, 30, 40 times a day, whatever. How about when I'm in the mood of the world is all about me and my pride rules everything. I'm really trying to be God with a little G. Maybe that's us sometimes too. Maybe when the world is just spinning around and everything's a little chaotic and we're frustrated, we're hurt and we're scared and we don't quite know what to do and, and we're trying to make it be and we can so easily point out the flaws of the other human beings around us. And go, yeah, but them and them and them. And it's like, no, that's... If I were God with a little G, man, you guys are in big trouble. You are. I can't remember to eat half the time. You're going to starve. Pride is poison. And it, like, infects us. And then maybe we get a little bit better. But sometimes, you know what? We go, we go back to the poison voluntarily. And pride keeps us going back. Because there may be somebody around us going, don't, don't go over there. That's the poison tree. Don't do that. And, and we don't really want to listen to that. We're afraid. And we start to judge them and we start to look at them and we start to demean them and put them down and go, yeah, but you don't really know me. You're not as big of a deal as I am. See, pride is my greatest problem. Pride is Tim's greatest problem. Pride infects me. I'm never going to be rid of it until I die. It's always going to be a portion of me. And I have to recognize that it is my greatest problem. My greatest problem isn't drugs and alcohol. No, it's pride. My greatest problem isn't lust. It isn't envy. It isn't gluttony. It's pride. My greatest problem isn't all of these sins. It's pride all of the time. My greatest problem it's pride. Jesus gets really serious here. He gets really serious. And I just love this bit of scripture. When Jesus, I mean, you heard me kind of like get a little bit louder. When I read, the, no. I mean, he's for real. And he goes right into this thing. He's like, okay, if one of you messes with this little child, it'd be better you take this great big millstone with a, a strong rope and tie it around your neck so you can't get out and throw it into the sea. You're following it. That's a bad end. That's a bad end. You're going to have a bad natic ache before you drown. Then he says, look, this is how serious I can be about sin. Now, he's using this, this is hyperbole. 
This is uh, an extreme example to grab our attention. He's not telling us to cut off our limbs. Okay? I don't want anybody leaving here going, well, you know, I looked at porn. I should probably gouge my eye. No. He's got a different plan. There have been cults out there that have done that. And you want to know the stupidity of those cults is what they found out is when they would cut off their right hand because they stole, they could still steal with their left. It's a heart issue. Jesus goes really hard after the heart issue. He says, cut it out or gouge it out. He's saying, will you get real with yourself for a minute? Will you, Tim, just stop? Chill. Take a deep breath. Stop trying to run the universe. You don't have the capacity to do that. What I want you to do is I want you to think about your relationship with me. That's what I want you to think about is your relationship with me because pride keeps getting in the way of that relationship. Some of us don't know how to do it any different. Jesus tells us how. My pride... Sometimes in my wickedness and my evilness, I will disguise my pride as your problem. Guilty. Part of it even feels kind of good for a minute, and then it's remorse after. I can make it your problem. I'm I'm really good at arguing with you. I'm, I'm very good at that. I'm very good at taking anything pointed towards me and making it your problem. I can, you can come in with the best of heart and in my sin and in my pride, I can turn it around and you can leave in tears saying, I wish I never had spoke. That's not a gift. That's a curse. See, my pride sometimes need to be served first. Sometimes I just need to be served first. Have you ever watched that? Have you ever been somewhere and you're in line and somebody cuts? What do you want to do to that person? Don't swear. What do you want to do? <laughs> right? Okay, so, so you're there with me, right? We watch that in somebody else, but there, there are times when that's me. And it can show in, in how I serve or where I serve or what, what I desire. You know, being served and being first, they kind of go together for me. Here's one of the things. Did you know that coffee is really, really important and good? Okay, coffee is important and good. And over in, in the office area over there, we've got, uh, you know, air pots and we make coffee. By we, I mean others. <laughs> and there are times where I'm going from this appointment to that appointment or this meeting to that meeting. And I'll come through and there's the ear pot and I go like this and I get some coffee. And the second one is all air. I'm like, oh, gosh, I've got a meeting I need to go to. I'm going to want people to do this. It should be somebody else. Now I have to stop and make coffee. And I get immediately flustered. Rather than go, man, I get to serve others. The next person that comes up isn't going to hear that. They're not going to hear that. They're just going to hear the luscious waterfall of coffee. Right? But I get myself all, all, all worked up because I need to be served and I need to be first. Maybe... There's something in your life that resonates with that. I, I, I don't know. But there's another part of this pride that shows itself, and I always need to be right. Yay, I'm right. I'm not even going to go into that one because you all get it. That's self-explanatory, right? Here's one is needing to be heard. 
There are times where being heard is really important. And there are times where we need to help those around us find a voice. But there are times where it's wicked and sinful and, and it's like my idea and I need to be heard. And we need to not only be heard, but you need to do it the way that I want to do it. it you need to listen to me is what that says. And I'm not all that smart. So why would you listen to me? I might have some insight, but I'm not the guy. I'm not the angel guy. It, it, sometimes it feels that way that I have to be heard. And there have been times in my life where I've been, had to be heard so much that I've stepped on somebody else. And it's pride. It's because I'm worried about me. See, original sin in the garden was pride. All sin is birthed from pride. Every bit of it. They're walking and talking, they're communion with God. I don't know what Eden was like before sin, but it had to be spectacular. God gives us all we need to know. It was amazing. God would come and show up. Free will allows them to have one rule. and They break the rule. And the reason they break the rule is Satan, who was the, the best up in heaven aside from God. He was incredibly beautiful and gifted and all of these things. He wanted God's place. He got kicked out. He got thrown out. Along with a third of the other angels that agreed with him. He got cast down and Satan ends up in the garden. And he comes and he tempts Adam and Eve who sinned at the same time. Same time. Surely you won't die. You will be like God. He must have been right because that's what they wanted to hear. Some of the other ways that he shows is... uh, We need to be informed or we need to be included. Uh, Sometimes decisions happen and we don't get to be a part of it. And sometimes we can have hurt feelings about that, right? I've never had that. Sometimes we want to be really special. Sometimes we want to be really special. I, I, I could really go off on this one because we've set an entire generation up for fail. Is what we've done. Uh, kids, our children ought to become our gods. Uh, j- just for real, that's really a touchy subject, right? It is. Some of you hate me right now. That's okay. Because it's his truth, not my truth. Sometimes we place our children in, in, in such a special category that even if they go out and they're in a sporting event and they absolutely suck, they get a medal, right? And you're special. No, you're not. You're just not athletic in that particular thing. That's all. You're just, you know. And I've, I've tried to help teach my kids to the best of my ability is you're not special, guys. You're special to me. You're really important to me. Nothing you do, your behavior, I might be disappointed, but I'll never stop loving you. I might be disappointed even for a minute with you. That's okay. But you're not that special. You're just, you're just a child. You're, you're one of God's child. Does God think they're special? Of course he does. Does he think you're special? Of course he does. He knit you in your mother's womb. He knows all of the words that are going to come out. Yes, you're special, but not in the wrong way. But here's the one that drives me so crazy. There's often in counseling where, where someone will come to see me, and I, I, I love it. It's such a privilege. And Usually I'm just trying to figure out who is this person and what do they want? How can I possibly help them? So we begin to ask questions. And often the question, it's it's like asking a a 20-year-old, what do you want to do when they grow up, when you grow up? The 20-year-old goes, I don't know, mostly. That's okay. That's That's an honest answer. 
And I'll say, okay, what do you want? And often the answer will be, I just want to be happy. I want to be happy. And, and that's okay, too, because I don't think that there's an ability to articulate what I really want. I don't think they've thought it through all of, I just want to be happy. I want to be happy. I've been trying this and this and this and this. So John was asking me about it, and he's like, hey, you know, with the happy things, sometimes it drives me crazy. And I said, yeah, me too. So do you want to know the answer? Okay, you really just, if all you're doing is searching happiness, cocaine helps. Okay, you just do. You just keep going, going, going. It will kill you. It will lead to destruction. You will die. People will hate you, but you will feel something. And we equate that with happy. Now, don't do that. Okay, don't. It's bad. I'll talk to you privately if you want. But I just want to be happy. And my, my thought process is, is, okay, this is the language I use. I want to help them. I want a loftier goal personally than happy. Happy is a feeling that's fleeting. It's, it's momentary. You want to know what makes me happy? When there's a six foot two guy and he's in a hurry to go outside, right? And he doesn't realize the door's closed and he hits it <laughs> and bounces off. I laugh every time. I do. Now I will check to see if they're okay, but I'll still laugh. I laugh because I'm, and that's a, that's a happy moment, right? At your expense. But that's fleeting. It goes away. So I, I want something more than, than just my happiness. And our happiness, man, as Americans, we, this is our God. This is our God. We're super special. We always want to be right. So, you know, no matter what my affiliation or this or that, here's, here's how America is working today, is I get to have all of my feelings and thoughts and I get to say whatever I want. And you can't say anything that makes me feel unhappy, right? Uh, good luck with that. That's not even going to happen in this room, let alone this world. So it's a personal goal. Instead, pride says, I deserve to be happy. Pride is poison. Okay, but, but there's an antidote to poison. Okay? Pride's antidote is Jesus. So remember, he's talking to us, right? He sits down as a rabbi. We should listen, pay attention, not stand up, but really get our ears pointed in the right direction. And he's saying, the first should be last. If you want to be great, serve. This is, this is how you do it. This is what you do. He's been modeling it all along for them. Now it's getting real, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. So now he's pulling in the troops, the little guys, and he's teaching them. He's teaching us, okay, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. They don't know what's going on. They're still arguing about who's the greatest. And he's trying to get them reined in. These are the disciples. Did you know that sometimes we act just like the disciples I do? Okay? So he's focusing, so we can focus for a minute. Paul tells us we should have the same attitude as Christ. We should have the same attitude as Christ. If you want to live a life that is meaningful with purpose, that has joy, happiness, sadness, madness, gladness, all of the feelings that we have, hunger, ate too much, it's zero degrees, it's too warm when it's 30, right? So, so all of those things, if you want to have something called contentment, if you want to have healthy pride, he's saying, be like Jesus, have the attitude of Christ. So Philippians 2, 1 through 11, says this. Is there, 
any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I think that's a really important question to ask me. And maybe you need to ask yourself. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Well, well, let's see. I have to get up early and go to church on Sundays. And there's this and that. And then uh, the tithe thing. And I hate that one song. Right? So that can be my prideful attitude at times. Maybe yours too. But he's asking the question, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort in his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Love God, love people. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Highlight that. That's a challenge. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He was equal with God, but he didn't cling to that. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the answer. That's, that, 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 that's how we rid ourselves of unhealthy pride. And, and we might succeed for a minute, and, and then we've got to go back to this. And one of the ways we do that is we get encouraged by others around us. So that's why there's community. That's why we gather together. There's small groups. There's big groups. There's men's and women's. There's all types of things. There's student ministries. There's all of these things to get you know, connected. And the goal is to be of one mind. Right? The goal is to be of one mind. And, and sometimes the biggest thing in our way is pride. You know, sometimes pride is what keeps us from speaking. I'm in a group and here's an opera. Ah, what will they think of me? Ah, they're going to think of you just like they think of themselves. Hey, welcome to the world of wicked sinners like me. Right? Redeemed by the blood of the cross. That's all. Oh, but my sin is so big. No, you're not that special. You're not. Yeah, but my parents say, yeah, but you might not be right in that. Maybe your parents were wrong. I don't know, just saying. Certainly not yours. Jesus does this uh, remarkable thing as they're heading to Jerusalem. He's, he's narrowing the focus. He's got to be laser focused. He's got a task and a mission that is known as his father's will. And his father's will is for you. It's for all of us. The separation happened, right, in in, in sin of Adam and Eve, our forefathers, and we're all born into that, and there's no way out of it, and there's no arguing or logicking your way out of that. It's just reality. And the plan is using his son as this last-time blood sacrifice for us, right? So Jesus goes, and he pays the ultimate price. 
And as he's laser-focused, and he's trying to teach these knucklehead disciples, he's trying to teach this knucklehead Tim, a pastor. He's trying to teach us. He knows that we struggle so much with pride. He's so gracious about it. Even when he's rebuking and speaking out, he's still filled with love. So he gathers the disciples, and he's saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. This comes a little later. But he provides this thing that we call communion, okay? And and it's a sacrament. It's a holy thing. And the communion is, is Jesus says, okay, these guys all have built-in forgetters. All of the disciples do, and probably every person that comes after will have built-in forgetters. They will be, like, forget that it was one degree, and now it's 30, right? they got those built-in forgetters. And so I'm going to do this tangible thing, and the tangible thing is the, the bread, which represents the body of Christ. Okay, it was, it was beaten, it was scourged, it was ripped. It was horrible. And that's his body, and it was bruised and beaten for me. He doesn't want me to forget that. He doesn't want pride to, to like, overshadow that. And he says, and, and this is the wine, the blood. We use juice here, okay? So the juice, uh, this represents all the blood that was spilled. It was the blood sacrifice. The last one that ever needs to happen. This last blood sacrifice. This is the only one that ever has to happen again. But you guys are going to forget. So I want you to do this when you get together. Do this communion thing, right? Unfortunately, there are times... Where the way we choose to do communion as Christians is wrong. It's wrong. Jesus says, make sure you have a a pure heart. Now, none of us will ever have a perfectly pure heart, this side of death. But we can have pure hearts. So the way we do communion in America is this. We set our stations up, and, you know, in in a moment or two, the, the station persons will be here. I don't know what we call them. Servers. So the service will be here. And, and in America, it's like the music starts, I think, for a second, and we all stand up and we all go. And it's a, it's a, it's a real crowd mentality thing. And it's normal. Okay? We're not bad because of that. But I want a different perspective. Is, is pride an issue for you? Is, if you had somebody come to you and go, hey, Mendel, I, I see this. I see you're hurting. And, and, and we use all of our tactics to keep them. That's pride. If we sat here and gone, that darn Johnny V, that darn Tim, that, 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 that's pride. We're, we're humans. We're going to let you down. Sorry. Our pride can get in the way. And Jesus says, come with a clean heart. Do you have anger at somebody? Do you have this issue? Is, is, is pride an issue? Because if you do, probably the most honoring thing you could do is not take communion today. Not. And I don't know if that's even a possibility for some of us to choose to sit instead. There was a time years ago where uh, that happened. And it's like a, only a third of the people took me. It was mind-blowing. It was beautiful. Jesus is asking us, listen to me. I'm sitting down and I'm teaching you this. Pride is a big deal. It's a really big deal. In fact, it's the root of all of your issues. If pride's there, we don't get a magic prayer to just make it go away. It takes work. But he's got grace for that. So the communion servers are going to come forward. I'm going to pray. Uh, and then if you choose to sit, that's so cool. And if you choose to not sit, that's so cool. I don't, there's not a pressure in this. But I want to give you the opportunity. If 
today isn't the time. We're going to do communion again. And maybe that'll be the time. If you bow your heads, Father, you gift and you give and you gift and you give. Father, sometimes we're part of the 99. Someone asked me in the between services, what does that mean in that song, he leaves the 99? And 99 are the sheep that are here and in communion with you. He leaves to find the one. Sometimes we think just because we're in the pen, we're part of the 99, and sometimes that's not the case. Father, you have taught me painful lessons about pride, and you've taught me gracious messages about pride in my own life, and it will continue to be an issue today and this afternoon and tomorrow. Thank you for your grace and your redemption. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for this reminder that we get to come up and remember what you did. That's why we do communion. We don't do it because it makes us holy. We do it so that we remember that we need you always. In your blessed name, amen. Come when you're ready.